Church, this morning we are very blessed to have with us uh, one of our missionaries, Dean Collar. We have supported Dean for, I guess, the past 31 years, and uh, first in 11 years in Belgium, and uh, since then, with his ministry has established Crossway International, he travels around the world sharing the gospel, doing seminars with pastors and uh, school leaders, and uh, sharing the uh, just teaching people how to share the gospel. He's been in over 50 countries, in spite of the fact that he is blind. And uh, so, uh, give a warm bridge welcome to Dean Collar. Well, it's good to be here. And I have to say, you guys are looking younger and younger every time when I... Maybe I'm just getting older, but uh, it's sure good to be here, and uh, it's a, a joy to spend time worshiping and praising God, amen? amen? Let me start with prayer, if I may. Father, help us this morning to focus on the majesty, on your majesty, and that of Jesus Christ. We pray that we might uh, bend and break our knee before you and our hearts as well, and a spirit of humility. Help us to recognize the tremendous grace that you've given to each of us that we so often take for granted, Father. And may we respond as volunteers as you lead and guide us by your spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to do a little review. It's nothing you haven't heard before, but I want to talk about some fundamental aspects to walking with God in grace. And I want to look at the, uh, the life of Isaiah and his story of grace in Isaiah chapter 6. I have the references up on the screen, or I will, so, or if you'd prefer to follow in your Bible, that's fine as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, we read this. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I felt some of that this morning, didn't you, during our our time of praise and worship? You could just feel the the awe-inspiring praise that we as his children give to God the Father and to Jesus Christ. Now, in the very first phrase in verse 1, we read about King Uzziah, and to most of of us, who are not students of uh, Israel or the nation of Judah, it may not mean much to us. But to a typical person back in 750 BC, it means something. It would evoke a certain meaning, a certain emotion. Uh, I uh, remember meeting one time a man in uh, the Netherlands, and his last name was Nachtgeboren. And I had a difficult time having a serious conversation with him because his name literally translated means Mr. Born Naked. Uh, 
You know, the church here, Florida Bible Church, changed names to the Bridge Church. I like that. It gave a whole new dimension and a description of who you are as a people of God, a bridge to the lost, to the hurting. I think it's a very good name. At first, I, I questioned it, I have to be honest, but the more I thought about it, the more I liked it, and I like it even more now. Uh, we have some strange names in America as well, not just overseas in the Netherlands. Uh, some of you may be old enough to remember uh, Peekaboo Street. Some of you do? Okay, you've got to be pretty old to remember that. But uh, she was a downhill uh, Olympic champion, snow skiing champion. And uh, rumor has it, and I know it's true because I read it on the internet, <laughs> but rumor has it uh, that after her Olympic career, she went to be a registered nurse in a hospital, and she served in the intensive care unit, but they would not let her answer the phone because she would answer it, peekaboo, ICU. And they, <clears throat> they felt that was inappropriate. <clears throat> so names can sometimes evoke a certain humor or meaning or tragedy or any number of things. If you lived back in 750 BC and you heard the name King Uzziah, you would immediately think of the mistake that he made in his life. He was appointed king at the age of 16, if you can imagine a 16-year-old being in charge of a country. He reigned for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, at least for a time, when he listened to the counsel of the prophet Zechariah. And he was basically overall a fairly good king. He was good domestically. Um, he encouraged the digging of wells, the planting of crops, the uh, breeding of livestock, and, and Judah flourished under his reign. And the same could be true of his foreign affairs. He strengthened the walls, and he had over 300,000 soldiers in this little bitty country. I think we have like 500,000 active military today. Can you imagine and we're a country of 330 million. So it's amazing how many soldiers he had at his hand. He won many wars, but he had a problem. He began to look around, they speculate, at the other countries, Assyria, Egypt. And he saw that the kings of these countries were not just the political leaders, but they were also the religious leaders. And he wanted that power for himself. So in Second. Chronicles chapter 26, we read a fairly full account of his life. He goes into the temple of God in order to offer up incense to the Lord, which was against the commandment of the Lord. He was not allowed to do that. The high priest comes in with all of his priests, about another 80 priests, and they, they stop him. He becomes angry, and God smotes him with leprosy in the forehead. And of course, at that point, he eagerly leaves the temple, lives in isolation and quarantine the rest of his time as king. In verse 16 of Second Chronicles, verse 26, it says that when Uzziah became powerful, uh, he fell into pride. He became proud and it caused his downfall. Pride is such a... a insinuous and ugly thing, and it lives in the heart of each one of us. And gentlemen, if you don't think it does, just ask your wives. I have a wife who reminds me of that periodically, more than I like to hear sometimes. Uh, 
But it's important that the first aspect to understand that we need to have in our lives and our walk with God in grace is a focus on the majesty of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Now, why did they cover their faces? Some people suggest that it's a reference to Exodus 33, verse 20, where the Lord tells Moses that no one can look on my face and live. And it may very well have been that the seraphs were not allowed to do that and live. And so they covered their faces. Uh, A kind of an indirect reference to the awesome majesty of God. And with two, they covered their feet. Now, why did they cover their feet? Again, it may allude to Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. You know the story where God speaks from within the burning bush and he tells Moses, take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And just in case you missed the the subtle references, or maybe for you not so subtle references to God's majesty, uh, he continues, and two they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me talk about the two bookends just briefly. The very first bookend, the phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died, is a very direct reference to Uzziah. And that would have evoked immediately the problem he had in his life. And the very last phrase in verse 4 is the other bookend. It refers to the action that he took that caused his downfall. What causes smoke in the temple? It's incense. And so sandwiched in between these two bookmarks is a solution to avoiding pride. And that's to have a very strong focus on the majesty of God. If you want to walk with God, you want to be in his grace, you need to focus on his majesty. Now, the second fundamental aspect to uh, consider is in verse 5, and that's to adopt a spirit of humility. In verse 5, we read this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's a natural reaction when you see the majesty and the glory of God to humble yourself. The mistake we often make is we compare ourselves to others. We can always find somebody who's a bigger jerk than ourselves, can't we? We can. And then we feel better about ourselves. But when we compare ourselves to the glory, the holiness, the majesty of God, it brings us to our knees as we sang this morning. Uh, You know, before we break or bend our knee, we need to break or bend our hearts before God. Um, I remember one time I went to Masawani, Kenya. We had drilled a well there. It may be the well that this church helped drill. I don't honestly remember. We've done so many. We've provided clean drinking water to more than 130,000 people. And this really isn't the focus of our ministry. It's just one uh, sub account in our ministry is to provide water wells for people. But I went there and these ladies, before we put the well in, they would walk about two miles down to the river, get dirty water, 
in these two containers. They would weigh about 40 pounds each, and they would walk about 100 yards, stop, shake their arms, walk another 100 yards, all the way back to their village. And their work didn't stop then. Then they would have to go out and get firewood. They would, and their daughters, start a fire and boil it before the water was actually clean and usable. You can imagine how grateful the community was uh, when we or whoever it was paid for and we put in a water well in their community. Uh, My field director, Ken, and I drove there to see them. That's what I normally do. Uh, We try to open hearts for people by providing something, and then I go in to share the gospel and do follow-up in that way. They were all outside the city limits waiting for us to come. Everybody has a cell phone in Africa. I don't know how they afford it, but even the poorest of the poor has a cell phone. And uh, they heard we were coming. Many of them met us on the outskirts of town. And I think you see a picture of me up there trying to dance. Uh, This white guy can't dance, but I tried. I really tried. And they seemed to appreciate it. And I asked Ken, I said, Ken, tell me the words of the song. And he says, Dean, they're singing praises to Mzungu. Now, Mzungu is a Swahili word that means literally traveler, but they use it to refer to a white man. And I said to Ken, Houston, we have problems. Let's get the team, let's get the community together. So we got the community together, and I think you see a picture of me using a wallet illustration that I use quite often to share the gospel, preached an evangelistic message, and we had 125 of them trust the Lord that day out of 500. Now, uh, we've been back a second time. We had another 125. Ken has been back, and uh, almost the whole village has come to faith in Christ through that one offer of grace to them and a water well. It's been amazing. But one story I told them that I've always remembered, it just kind of came to me. I said, suppose I was out in the jungle with Ken and I'm an older guy and I got tired. So I sat down on a rock to rest and Ken sees off to my right, a big black mamba snake. They're deadly poisonous. So Ken grabs my stick and he kills that snake. Now, Who am I going to say thank you to? Am I going to say thank you to Ken or thank you to my stick? And they all kind of snickered and laughed. They said, well, you'd say thank you to Ken. I said, exactly right. And keep this in mind. I am nothing more than a stick in the hand of God. I'm just a stick. And so are you. It is God who chooses who he's going to work in and through. And it's determined, I think, to a large degree by fundamental principles. Do you have a focus on the majesty of God? Um, Do you have a spirit of humility? You know, sometimes people come up and they give me these exaggerated compliments, and I appreciate them. I mean, they say, oh, I can't believe you're a blind guy, and you get up and you preach and blah, you know, whatever they say. And I I thank them for it, but I I always tell them or often tell them, you know, I'm going to treat that like the top of a perfume bottle. I'm going to sniff it. I'm just not going to swallow it. It's when you start swallowing your own press clippings that you fall into that trap of pride. We're nothing more than a stick in the hand of God. Now, the uh, third uh, fundamental aspect in your walk with God in his grace, we see in verses 6 and 7, 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know, when we focus on the majesty of God and we humble ourselves before him, he doesn't leave us there. He didn't leave us in that mess. He wants to encourage us. He wants to remind us of his love and his grace. He wants to enable us and equip us to service. And I remember a missionary from Chad one time, and he was sharing how he was translating the book of John. And he came to the word love. The very first time the word love is used in John is John 3.16. And he couldn't figure out what the word was in the Chad language for love. So he went around and he asked some of the men in the village, what do you say to your wives or your children when you want to express terms of affection? Uh, You know, some kind of really desire, uh, kind words. And they all said the same thing. We tell them that we want them. We want them. I want my wife. I want my children. And so he translated John 3.16, for God so wanted the world. God wants you. He wants to use you. There's some tremendous ministries here at the Bridge Church. I'd like to go to that ladies' meeting on Wednesday, but I don't think I qualify. It sounds like a great meeting. Or the men's breakfast. Wow, without my wife there. Wonderful. (laughs) you got some great ministries. God wants to use you. He wants to equip you. The last uh, fundamental aspect that I want to touch on is in verse 8. Well, that third one was we need to recognize God's grace in our life. Uh, The fourth one is we need to respond to God's grace. In verse 8, It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now, I don't know if any of you have teenage kids. Do some of you have teenage kids? Yeah. Imagine that father is sitting at the table with mother, and you got a couple of teenage boys or girls sitting at the table, and mom says to dad, Boy, you know, that yard sure needs to be mowed. And dad thinks, oh, no, I don't want to do And then your teenage son or your daughter says, hey, dad, why don't you let me do that after supper? Now, before you faint, <laughs> what would that do to your heart? It would just, oh, you would just be full of joy. God is looking for volunteers. He was looking for people that will truly recognize his grace and then respond to it. Not because we have to but because we get to. What a privilege it is to respond to God's grace. Well, in brief, that's the story of grace in the life of Isaiah. Let me take you through uh, just real quickly the the four um, adequate, the four uh, responses, the four essential elements. Uh, The first one was Uh, to focus on the majesty of God. The second one is to adopt the spirit of humility. Third one, recognize the grace of God. And the fourth one is respond to the grace of God. Now, how does that work in the organization of Crossway International as me personally as a missionary? Well, we have a very simple strategy. You know, we want to take the gospel of God's grace to a lost and hurting world. How do we do it? Well, first of all, by opening people's hearts to the gospel. 
Secondly, making sure we share the gospel. A lot of people fall down there. They, they do all kinds of nice things, but they don't really adequately share the clear gospel message. And then thirdly, to train others how to share the gospel. So it's a very simple threefold uh, strategy that we use. Uh, for example, I've already mentioned, and this is slide nine, uh, how we drilled water wells in Masawani. This is a picture of one in Kangundu, Kenya. And um, last January, I went to nine different locations where we have done either water wells or school renovation or any number of things. Um, I preached to around 5,000 people total in these nine locations. We had 2,000 trust in Christ for their salvation. The fields are white unto harvest. It's amazing what God is doing out there. Uh, last May, three or four months later, I went back again, taught at a pastor's conference, and therefore I didn't have as much time to do evangelism, but we still had over 700 come to faith in Christ. The Spirit of God is moving in Africa in a way that uh, I've never seen before, but then again, I'm blind. So uh, maybe it has been, but it's, it's been amazing to see how God can use someone so broken as myself. How much, how much more could he use you? Now, we also to open hearts of people. We give milk goats to widows. You know, James 1.27 says, this is the true religion that you care for orphans and widows. And we've identified 135 widows that need goats We've given out about 25, I think, of them at this time. And we do it in a way that, is, um, that uh, expands the ministry. We hate toxic charity. When you give, just give to people, and you don't require any kind of responsibility on their part, you rob them of their dignity. And so we asked the, the widows, under the supervision of the chief of the village, to give the first two offspring, the first two kids, to two other widows. And so we're beginning to grow a sustaining kind of ministry. And then I go back and preach the gospel. So this is how we open the hearts of people in the whole community. The whole community comes out to hear me when we give out five goats, $200 a goat. That's pretty cheap. Um, the 11th slide has to do with our school in Liberia. We started one uh, three years ago. We had to shut it down for a year when the Ebola crisis broke out, but it's over now, and they have very, very few cases, just an occasional case, and they don't have a problem. I was there last, I think, February or March. I forget exactly. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But we have 174 students. About 80% of the, the children have parents. Those parents are required to pay tuition. It may be $5 a month. Doesn't sound like much to you, but that's when the average income is $80 a month, $5 is a lot of money. But we want them to have skin in the game. And uh, so we're going to be charging tuition uh, beginning in September. We did this in our school in Ethiopia. Uh, and right now, it's self-sustaining and taking care of its operating expenses. We have 237 students in Meki, Ethiopia. Our school in Sudan, that was 12 years ago. It was self-sustaining at one point, but it's too dangerous for me to fly back in there now. Uh, so I don't know about it. Uh, we also 
uh, open hearts by helping the blind. Obviously, I have a big heart for blind kids. And uh, we have 60 blind kids or so in the school in Congundo. Books are expensive. A regular book costs $10 here in America. A Braille book costs $100 because of the paper and the limited printing. It's just very expensive. So we provide uh, Braille paper and Braille machines to help these people, which opens the hearts. And all 60 of these kids have trusted the Lord. They love me. Uh, when I, last time I came there, the teacher says, who knows who's here today? And uh, one, of the, one of the girls spoke up. He's one of us. He's one of us. So they were excited to see a blind guy traveling all over the world. Uh, we also reach out to gang members in Nicaragua. This is a picture of some of those gangs. Uh, we invite them to a lunch. I preach the gospel. Eight of the 11 gang members, I don't know if they're all pictured in this picture, trusted the Lord on this day. And the police got interested. They thought we were up to no good. So the commissioner of police and his inspector, Inspector Nelson, came to see what was going on. <clears throat> At that meeting, they trusted in the Lord. So now we have some high police officials who's trusted in the Lord, and they allow us to get into prisons. Uh, we've also uh, shared, uh, I think you see the next picture, 14. That's one of the schools where I've preached the gospel. That's also the school where the blind kids go. And uh, one of the, the harvests that we had when I preached the gospel back in January. In uh, slide 15, I think you see a picture of a hospital room. We do hospital visitations. I go in, share the gospel. They're eager, so eager to hear any kind of message of love and grace. And I shared in this one hospital room, and I gave an invitation. And four out of the six uh, family members who were visiting indicated they trusted in Christ. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I wasn't real clear, so I gave a second invitation. I said, are you sure there's no one else here that would like to trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. And then I hear behind me out in the hallway a man going, I do, I do, when he preaching to him. And he's out there listening and trusting the Lord. It's just amazing how open people are to the gospel. Uh, slide 16 is me in jail. Now, they did let me out. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I did smuggle bullets in. This, that's a long story. I don't have time to tell you that one. I'll have to... I think it's in one of my prayer letters. In fact, I have prayer letters back on the, in the foyer in that middle table and some gift cubes, and they're first come, first serve, and I'll explain the gift cubes here in a minute. Uh, which slide am I on? 17. Uh, that would be a, a pastor's conference, if my memory's working correctly. We take uh, pastors from the United States to teach and share the gospel and to teach people good principles of interpretation and hermeneutics. Most of these pastors have very little training. So that's kind of the third strategy. The first one, opening the hearts. Second one, uh, sharing the gospel. And the third one, training others to share the gospel. Uh, slide, where am I at now? 18. Okay, this is Liberia again. We were asked by the minister of Liberia to come in and teach a two-day workshop. Can you imagine that happening here in America? I don't think so. But he asked us to come in. He knew of us. We had done some water wells there. We had started a school. He was excited to see us participate and help the country. So we went in and did a two-day uh, workshop. Uh, we had 200 teachers. 
80 of them trusted the Lord. And then these 200 teachers were instructed by him to take what I taught them to their 7,000 students. So we are just seeing thousands upon thousands of people uh, potentially and directly come to faith in Christ. It's been an exciting, exciting ride. Uh, slide 19 is uh, one panel in the gift cube. You know, many times you share the gospel and you, you, sometimes you're left wondering, did they really understand me or not? <clears throat> and so this is somewhere in the middle of that presentation. And you ask the person, now, are you saved by works, which represents the man with a shovel, or by works plus a gift, or by just a gift? You give him that choice. And you say, you know, what is the basis of how you get to heaven? Which of those three pictures represents the basis? 50% of the time, I don't care how clear I've been, they pick the middle circle. They want to cover their bases. But it's not by grace plus works. It's by grace alone that a person is saved when they trust in Christ alone for their salvation. So it's been a really good uh, tool to clarify the gospel of grace. Um, one of my favorite ways to do it, I want to share two ways real quick and then uh, close with a special item. I go to these communities, and they know I'm a missionary. I've already been introduced. And I'll get up and I'll say something like, I want to share three things God cannot do. If I have a new interpreter, he stops me. And he said, did you say three things God cannot do or can do? I said, cannot do. Translate it like I said it. I don't have peanut butter in my mouth. <clears throat> and uh, they'll translate it, but they're a little bit fearful. They haven't heard this before. And I say, but listen, listen, hear me out. We read this in John 3, 16. Uh, the very first thing God cannot do is the first part of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You see, God cannot love you more than he already does. He loves you with a perfect and eternal love. There's nothing you can do that can stop God from loving you. He loves you. He cannot love you more than that. Now, the second thing God cannot do is in the second part of that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, God cannot give you anything more precious than his one and only son. You who have children, you know that. The most precious thing you have are your children. Well, God didn't hold back his one and only son, but allowed him to be beaten and crucified and then raised him from the dead. Now, the third thing God cannot do is in the third part of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes or trusts in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God cannot make the plan of salvation, how a person gets to heaven, any more simple. A child can do it. A rich man, a poor man, anybody can do it. Aren't you glad it doesn't say whosoever believes and is good? I am. That would leave me out. Because Psalm 14 makes it very clear that there are none who are good, not even one. So there is simply no way God can make the plan of salvation any more simple. Now, the, one, the newest one uh, illustration I've been using, and I need my friend Bob up here. Uh, apparently, I didn't fold the paper correctly, so he's going to do it himself this time, and we'll see who does the best one. Okay, well, this just takes a minute. 
I, I did it for a lady on the plane coming over here, and she was kind of interested in it. So it's mainly for children, but it works for adults because we're, we're nothing but big kids anyway, right? Okay, so you take a regular sheet of paper. You got yours kind of open like that? Mm-hmm. We're going to do it together? Okay. Go well, now you do yours too because I might mess mine up. Okay. okay, and you make a sale, and you say, now how does a person get to heaven by a sailboat? And maybe the sailboat represents being good. Well, sailboat's never going to get to heaven. So then you fold it back down this way. You kind of make a house out of it. And you say, but, you know, Jesus said he went to prepare a place for us. And in his father's house, there are many rooms. John chapter 14, verse 1. So how do we get to God's house? Well, maybe it's by uh, an airplane. So let's, let's make us an airplane. These are all kind of pre-folded, so I hope they work. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, maybe the airplane represents religion. You've got to belong to the right religion, or you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's how you get to heaven. Well, you know, airplanes, they fly, they fly pretty high, but they're never going to get and reach God's third heaven. Well, maybe there's another way to do that. Let's, let's do this. Let's see if this will work now. <laughs> it's kind of hit and miss. Okay, you tearing yours? I'm good. See upstaging me here? Okay. Okay. Maybe it's by a rocket. Okay, we tear the wings off. We got a rocket. Rockets fly a lot higher. And maybe you think, well, I'll just really work hard. I'll be a better person, whatever, okay? Well, that's not going to get you there either. So how do we get there? Well, let's see if this worked. No, it didn't work. Did yours work? Of course it did. Well, he just had to show me up, didn't he? Showing up a blind guy. Oh, well, I tried. Anyway, it worked on the plane. At least the lady said it worked. Maybe it didn't. Maybe I got the wrong piece here. Okay, well, anyway, let me go ahead and close with uh, a kind of model how I give an invitation for people to trust in Christ. It might be great for you who have that, that gift or talent or calling. Uh, I never ask somebody to pray because a lot of people get real confused. Muslims pray five times a day. You know, Catholics pray all the time. Uh, Jews pray at the Wailing Wall. Uh, So I I don't ask people to pray, but I do ask them to close their eyes because I don't want them to be distracted. And I ask them to enter into my world. So let me ask you right now, just close your eyes so you're not distracted. Nobody looking around. And I want to lead you in a conversation with God. Very simply, just tell God that you admit you've done things wrong, that you're not perfect. And I ask him to do that in the quietness of their mind, and I pause. And then I say, and uh, say this to God, that you understand there's a serious penalty for the wrong things you've done. The Bible calls that sin, by the way. And that's to be eternally separated from God. Say something like that to God, that you understand there's a serious penalty for sin. Now, that's the bad news. Now, the good news is this, and I want you to say this to God. Say, God, I understand Jesus died in my place for all my sin. Not just some of them. He died for all my sin. 
and then he rose from the dead. Say something like that to God in the quietness of your heart. And then fourthly, say this to God. Right now, I'm trusting only in Jesus Christ. Not in Jesus Christ and my goodness or a religion. Not in Jesus Christ plus anything, but simply in Jesus Christ. Say that to God right now. Now, do me a favor. If today, this was the first time you've understood this message, that it's an absolute free gift through faith in Christ, and if today you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, all eyes closed, no one looking around, let me just ask you, put your hand up and put it down real quick, saying, yes, Dean, I trusted in Christ today when I heard this message. Anyone at all? God bless you, yes. I see you. God bless you, yes. Okay. Now, raising your hand doesn't save you, and the only reason I'm asking is to make sure that I made the message clear, because religions are notorious. Who is it that gave uh, Jesus the hardest time? It was religious leaders. And some religions, not Bridge Church, but some religions are notorious for hiding the gospel. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that the God of this age, basically Satan, has blinded the unbeliever to the glorious light of the gospel. I want your eyes open. I want you to see spiritually. Well, Father, I thank you for those who have trusted in Christ Thank you again for Bridge Church, all that they have meant, all that they have done, all the prayers they've given for us over all these many decades. And we give glory to you, Father, for the thousands of people who have come to faith in Christ through our partnership. God bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen.